0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Buenos uh, días a todos. Bienvenidos al servicio esta mañana. Si nos estás acompañando, queremos darte una gran bienvenida. Espero te sientas aquí en familia. Si nos estás visitando por primera vez, qué especial puede verlos también de nuevo. Yo sé que muchos tuvimos un servicio hace un par de semanas. Puede vernos en el servicio con todos los hispanos de Los Ángeles. Y ahora estar con ustedes, qué gran placer. What a great privilege it is for me to be with you all this morning. It's uh, very, very special to be here. Uh, to be able to be uh, with the East Cities ministry, uh, with Las Americas' ministry, and also to be able to see the Sanchez family. And uh, the Sanchez family, uh, if you guys don't know, uh, my wife and I lead the... uh, Uh, the Lifeway region, which is kind of what used to be the old central region of Los Angeles. And the Sanchez family were instrumental in the very beginning and starting the Spanish ministry there uh, in the central region, where it's now the Lifeway ministry. And so going back with Fernando and Maria and Liz and obviously uh, Don and Edgar, uh, what an incredible family they are. And when I think about Edgar and I think about Don, I think about shepherds. Uh, I think about uh, people with a heart of shepherding, and you know when you when you meet people that are like that that 's a special gift when you find someone that has a special gift of shepherding of, of when you 're around them, you just feel taken care of when you 're around them, you feel better, you feel uh, that protection and that uh, security that a shepherd can bring and so uh, it 's great to be with you all this morning, amen. And as Edgar mentioned, uh, my wife and I have been married for 23 years. My wife, Griselda, and I, uh, we actually met uh, when we were both college students and uh, when I first went into the ministry. Uh, And so we actually uh, got married in December and started leading the Spanish ministry in the Lifeway region back in early 1996. And uh, amazingly, since that time till now, we've been in the same ministry the whole entire time. So we've been in one ministry uh, for 20, almost going on 24 years uh and it's been a tremendous uh just uh, a blessing for us and to see a lot of families grow and their kids grow Uh, my kids i have three kids i have a 19 year old Uh, actually he's going to be 20 in just a couple weeks uh so almost 20 year old almost uh i just just turned 19 year old and a a 15 year old girl so i have two boys and a girl but two of them are in college my older son is at pepperdine university and uh, my second son's at Cal State Los Angeles, and then my daughter is a sophomore in high school. So it's just amazing how time just just flies so fast, doesn't it? Uh, for all of us that are parents, I think the saying is that the, uh, the, the days are long, but the years are fast, right? The days seem very, very long because you're like, wow, it's a lot to do. But then, you know, you just turn around and, and your kids have, have moved on in such an incredible and quick and, uh, way. Amen. Uh, well, today I want to talk about something uh, that I think is going to be a blessing to all of us here uh, this morning. And uh, as Edgar was mentioning, uh, the, the fact that we are a people in transition uh, is something akin to the people of God. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's the it's it's our most located place in God is transition. Uh, it's when we feel settled, that we're not really in the location that God wants us to be. Because the reality is that we all are in transition and should be a people in transition until we reach the new creation in heaven with God. Until we are in that real uh, new creation in 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 connection and eternal connection with God until we are we have reached that promised land. We are in that transition. And so if you feel like you're in transition this morning, you're in a good spot. You're in a good place because that's exactly where God wants us to be. Amen. He wants us to feel that angst of not yet being there, of going somewhere, of going in a direction, but you're not totally there yet, but you're reaching and you're striving to get there. It's when you feel you've already arrived and you're in trouble. You with me right there? It's when you think you already got it figured out that God teaches you, no, you don't have anything really figured out. But, you know, uh, we live in a society that's obsessively fascinated with self-image. I don't know if you noticed. There was a recent social media fad. Uh, called the 10-Year Challenge, uh, where someone, you know, compared a picture from uh, today and one from 10 years ago. And, you know, the, the reality is they kind of wanted to see, wow, you know, since I joined Facebook 10 years ago or whatever social media platform, since then till now, you know, you, know, what, you know, how do I look then, how do I look now? And uh, the reality is that most people were, uh, you know, trying to fish uh, for certain type of comments when they posted those pictures. There were certain comments they were fishing for and other comments they really did not want to hear. See, no one was wanting to hear this in their comics. You know, your pictures really demonstrate the natural progression of time and how we change over the years. No one really wanted to hear that. No one wanted to hear the following, you look great in that picture from 10 years ago. And no one wanted to hear, whoa, it seems like these have been cruel, a cruel 10 years. No one wanted to hear that, right? No one wanted to hear, wow, the days, months, and years have really weighed you down. Right? And no one wanted to hear the following, hey, it seems that Father Time has hit you a couple of times with his cane. No one wanted to hear that. You know, we, everyone wanted to hear, wow, you look great. You look the same. It's like, it's like time has stopped. What, why are you so different from the rest of us humans? Right? In actuality, people and we tend to, Uh, fish for compliments for flattery for positives and encouraging comments things that are build us up that make us feel better about ourselves you know and we think that uh we we search for those things that we think something that can nourish our self-image that could uh, satisfy our need for approval that could fill a void uh in our self-esteem that really cannot be filled like this And this is really actually a big problem for today's youth, uh, for today's young people, especially young people who participate in social media, whose self-esteem is still in development, is fragile, uh, and yet they are in that world of trying to portray an image of somebody who they think and feel that they are, but then they're battling with the reality of who they really are in life. And it's really a fragile and tough situation. And, you know, this is a reality not just in social media, but... In, in the rest of the world, social media only intensifies it and magnifies it. We're talking about a general insecurity that we tend to have. I don't know if you can relate with that. How do we compare with other people? What do others have that I don't have? Am I enough? Am I succeeding or failing? You know, how's it going? Am I winning or am I losing? Am I progressing? Am I a blessing for others, And, you know, really, when we talk about living for your self-image, it's something that's so temporary. It's immediate. It's an immediate kind of shot in the arm. But then you live life, uh, real life, and it doesn't really fulfill you. It's superficial. And in a lot of ways, it's dishonest. You know, it, it's trying to find the best possible you that could be your image. But it's not real. It's like trying, you know, uh, don't take a picture on this. I take it on the other side. Because this is my good side. This side, uh, not so much. This side, good. This side, I look older. This side, I look younger. So there's, there's a dishonesty there, even to our own selves. And, and a lot of times, this is demoralizing. Because we're, we're so much searching and trying to compare ourselves with other people. And so it could even be very discouraging for us in our lives. So today we're going to talk about the answer to all that, and that is reflecting Christ. And uh, really, it's 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 a it's a desire that all of us should have, because in that we can find that true security that we're seeking for. And so we're going to go to Colossians chapter one. So if you have your Bible, you can uh, open it up to Colossians chapter one. That's in the New Testament. That's kind of in the second part of the Bible. Um, Colossians chapter one. And if you have your Bible, you can follow along. If you have your uh, phone or your iPad, you can follow along or you can also follow along here on the on the screen with the rest of us. Colossians chapter one. Look at these amazing words. It says about Jesus, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things were things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, when we think about fullness, our fullness, our wholeness depends only on the image of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. Our complete reconciliation is found only in Christ. And through Christ, you participate in the reconciliation of the world And all of creation. So we're actually part of something reconciling that God is doing, not just in us, but through us. For the entire entirety of creation. So when we talk about that, our fullness depends only on the image of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. You know, when we speak of fullness, we refer to being complete. Satisfied with how God has created us. And secure in him. You know, are you secure this morning? Do you feel secure? Do you feel anchored? Or are you kind of shaky? You know, kind of back and forth spiritually. You know, we're talking about our complete reconciliation is found only in Christ. When we talk about reconciliation, we really refer to two different things. One of those is the reintegration of relationships. Right? It might be with God. Reconciling with God or with other people, or even with ourselves, reconciling your relationship with yourself. But we're also talking about recovering something or someone for its original purpose. You know, something that has lost its original purpose, you want to reconcile it to that original purpose. Someone who's lost their way in what God really created them for, you want to reconcile them for that purpose. You know, that is the origin of that internal groaning of people feeling like there's something missing. There's something not quite there. You know, you kind of have an angst. And really, a lot of it has to do with that original purpose that God has created us for, that we're living outside of. And so being reconciled to that brings, it to the, brings us to that fullness in Christ. Amen? And through Christ, we participate in the reconciliation of the world in all creation. So we're not only Experiencing that personally, where we get to be a part of something bigger and greater than ourselves? Amen. Pretty deep stuff, right? Well, we're going to get a little bit practical here. And let's see how the Apostle Paul navigates all this and works uh, through this image of wanting to reflect Christ in his life. And having that be that fullness of image be fully in him as well. Amen. Let's look at 2 Corinthians, chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse one and two. We're going to uh, kind of camp on this scripture this morning. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter four verse one and verse one and two. Well, who is Paul? Uh, Paul used to be a terrorist. He was a terrorizer of the Christian churches. He was actually uh, uh, someone who was a religious fanatic who uh, hated Christians and persecuted them and actually was going from town to town trying to get them arrested. And in one of those travels, as a terrorist, as a a religious fanatic, he gets confronted by Jesus himself. And in in, in that confrontation, he has a moment of conversion, of him understanding and realizing that this is actually what he really was missing, that he was outside of God's purpose and he needed to be within God's purpose for his life. And so not only is he converted, but he becomes... Uh, really uh, a key figure and the key figure in the advancement of the churches in the first century. So a lot of the churches that in the first, second and third missionary journeys are planted by Paul and his companions or are strengthened by Paul and his companions. And so he becomes really an incredible instrument of God's mercy for uh, God's work and God's reconciling work there in the New Testament. Amen. So this letter now in 2nd Corinthians uh, is written uh, really in between a couple letters. The first letter of Corinthians, which was a, really a direct letter to the church there in Corinth. And then now, and many people believe there's a letter in between that letter. And now this is now the third letter. One of Paul's most personal letters to a church is, a church, is, the, is the letter of Second Corinthians. It was written between the uh, years of 57, 55 and 57 AD. There's one or two years after that first Corinthians letter. Uh, Was written. And so Paul in this letter really is in a lot of ways defending uh, what he did and what he mentioned in that first letter. But he's also defending his absence. And it's a personal appeal uh, for trust in his leadership, for people to trust in what God is doing through him for their sake. And as I mentioned, it is one of Paul's most personal letters. And look here, you'll see this as we read it together in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception or do we distort the word of God? On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. For God, who said "Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us a light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What incredible words, right? There's so much in there. And so Paul is navigating this idea of reflecting Christ and and really living out Christ in his life. And he goes to these, these places, these deep areas that you and I need to go to. If we are going to reflect Christ today, reflect Christ in our lives, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our families. And Paul, here's talking about a power. And hopefully this morning you believe that you have power in Christ. Hopefully this morning you believe that there's power in the word of God. Hopefully this morning you believe in the power of God in your life. And that you also believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that is in every single believer. And so this morning, as you read these words that that are inspired by that powerful Holy Spirit, they now speak to the Spirit inside of all of us and hopefully connect some dots for you so that you can reflect the image of Christ. You know, what, what incredible words we see here. You know, it says we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. I mean, wow, that's just even putting our heads and our minds around that is incredible. But look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I mean, you think about that. The upward calling of Paul's words, right? He says, you know, we renounce secret and shameful ways. We, we don't do anything in secret. We don't do anything shameful. Everything's out in the open. We don't use deception. You know, when you think about deception, it comes to the, from the word for a magician, right? Somebody that, you know, kind of it smokes and, smoke and mirrors. Right? Everything looks amazing. Have you guys ever seen a really awesome magician? And you're like, how did they do that? And it's all magic. It's all fake. It's not real, but it looks really real. And so Paul says, you know, we, you know those, those magical arts, we've those. We don't distort the word of God. We don't try to change it and move it around to our you know, perspective, to what's better for us. We don't use it as a weapon. We actually just put it out there plainly. It says, we set forth the truth plainly. And look at this: We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says, "You know what? Our life, our ministry, our words, our action, actions, everything is out there, commended for everyone's conscience, so you guys can really judge clearly who we are and in the sight of God." Wow. The image of Christ becomes visible. In our sincerity. That's when the image of Christ comes. So it's not in this image that we're trying to portray. A self-image of somebody that we're really not. Actually Christ becomes visible in us. When we are sincere. When we are real people. Amen. Is your life an open book? That's a very good question. Because what Paul talks about, this level of sincerity, this commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, that's like, wow, an upward calling. But it's not going to happen if our life is kind of, you know, closely guarded secret. Is your life an open book? Do you speak the sincerity of Christ to others? And here's, the, here's a really good question. How do you respond to the sincere words of others in your life? See, sincerity is not just about who you are, but also accepting sincerity in your life. Some of us, we don't like to hear the truth, right? It's like, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But the reality is that being sincere is an open book. Wow, it's an upward calling. But it's not just about you and I living in sincerity, but also allowing sincerity being spoken to us. That's the image of Christ for Paul. It becomes visible in sincerity. And look in verse, in verse five. It says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See, what Paul's saying is, is really profound. He's saying, you know, we don't preach man. We don't preach a person. We don't preach an individual. And I don't know, if you read the, the New Testament, you read Paul. He s- sounds like a pretty impressive guy. I didn't get to meet him in person. I get to read everything he wrote, and you're thinking, wow, what an impressive person was Paul. I mean, what a story of conversion. What a ministry. Not just that, the results, right? Everything he did, it was like, wow. But you know what Paul was doing constantly is deflecting. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't focus on me. Don't focus on me. Don't focus on me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about It's about God. Why? Because we don't preach ourselves. He says, you know what? Well, just, we just preach Christ as Lord. And you know who we are? We're just your servants for Jesus' sake. We're your slaves. We're here to work for you. That's who we are. We're nobody exalted. We're nobody important. We're nobody special. We're nobody specially gifted. We're just one of you. And actually even below that, we're, we're here to serve you. It's not even that we're equal. We're below you. You know, in, in the era of hi- in, in the era of hierarchy, he puts himself below everyone else. You know, what do we see? The image of Christ to Paul is embodied in service. You know, embodying Christ, we talk about, well, you know, I want Christ to, to dwell on me and to be in me and to reflect Christ. A lot of what you know what we all do? We go internal. We think about us and us and alone in a little corner. You know, somewhere dark, and it's just me and Christ, you know, and, and just him and I against the world. But you know, biblically, that's that's not really the biblical testimony we have in scripture. Reflecting Christ is not just something internal, it is personal, but it's not individual. It actually is something that is reflected in community, it's something that you can see in your home, in your neighborhood, in your school, at work, in the community of believers. In places where you live as servants of Christ. You know, are you an obvious, clear servant of Christ? When people see you, they say, wow, this person is a servant of Christ. Wherever you are. And that's only expressed in community because you and I could say, yeah, I'm a servant of Christ. But we're mean outside to everybody. We're grumpy. You know, Uh, we, 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 we. uh, uh. we are actually not a light. We're a darkness. You know, and, and we're, you know, acting sometimes the same as the rest of the world or even worse. You know, and then we're kind of looking around, make sure another Christian is not around from our, you know, our ministry. I hope they don't, you know, I hope they don't see me doing something and acting in a way that I shouldn't be acting. And we, 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 we divorce ourselves from Community. We think that it's really just about us on our own. And that's not what God is about. God is about the power of together in service, embodying Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, this scripture, I think, is probably the favorite of a lot of people. Right. I mean, you read this, you're like, I don't know about you ministers to my heart because I'm like, you know what? I've been there. That passage right there. I've been there. Maybe right now you read it. You're like. I'm there right now. Look at these words. It says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power. I mean, think about how Paul describes it. It's all surpassing, it's, it's the most powerful, the greatest power is from God and not from us. It says, We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted. But not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. The image of Christ is magnified through our weakness. You want to see the image of Christ in someone? It's when they're weak, it's when they're going through trial, it's when they're facing the reality of suffering in life. You know, what a beautiful image is a treasure in jars of clay something so valuable inside something so common so unexceptional so fragile right a jar a jar of clay is fragile you know i know in mexico there there's was uh, uh before there were a lot of banks for a lot of people they kept their their uh their coins their money in in really in clay jars y a veces han encontrado algunas algunos cántaros con dinero con alazanes con Monedas de los tiempos de atrás. No, and they found these in, in the past. And it's, you know, these jars that are holding something precious. I know the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in these clay jars. They were all kind of broken up. And something so precious that gives us uh, a truth and and reliability of God's word is, is in something so fragile. You know, it says that we're hard-pressed. Have you ever felt hard-pressed? Where everything's just kind of pushing against you? You're like, ugh. You can't even sleep because you're like persecuted, struck down. You know, the word that stands out to me is perplexed. I mean, Paul mentions these words, it's hard pressed, persecuted, struck down. Wow, intense, intense, intense and perplexed. You know, parents, have you ever felt perplexed? You know, husbands, wives, students, have you ever felt perplexed with, you know, calculus? You're like, man, I am perplexed. I don't understand this at all. But perplexity, you know, Paul puts it along the line of of these sufferings that we and sometimes we are. We're confused. We don't know what to do. Where do I go? Do I zig? Do I zag? Do I go here? Do I go there? Do I listen here? Do I listen there? What do I do? I, I'm just I'm confused. I'm perplexed. And so Paul's saying, hey, that's sometimes where we are. Sometimes we're just perplexed. We don't know right from wrong. We don't know, you know, this way from that way. But the question really is, do your sufferings magnify Christ? You know, um, I'm a grumpy, sick person. And uh, I think my wife is grateful that I don't get sick often. My wife, I mean, she'll be sick, and probably a lot of couples can relate. She'll be sick, and she'll be moving around doing stuff. I, I get sick, and it's like the world has come to a, you know a, a pause. The sun has stood still, you know, it's like, can't do anything. I put my head, you know, you know, here and it's like, and it's just, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just you know, a, a bad sufferer. But, you know, the question for all of us is. Do our sufferings magnify Christ? We all go through sufferings. If I have a show of hands right now, how many people have suffered or go through sufferings? Everyone's going to raise their hand. Well, actually, let's do it. Every, you know, raise your hand if you go through suffering, right? Look around. Everyone look around so you know you're not the only one. You know, those that didn't raise your hand, go find out how is it that they don't have suffering in their life. <laughs> but, you know, do your sufferings reflect the image of Christ? Do they magnify Christ? Not that you're not going to. You know, a lot of us try to avoid it, right? Let me live my life without suffering. How can I just live in a way that keeps me as far away from suffering as possible? And, and Jesus says, you know what? That, that's not that's not a real place. Paul says it's really about drawing closer to suffering because that's where God's power and Jesus's image is really in. And so that that leads us to, you know, this next passage. It says we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. That's interesting. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So now we're going to these to life and death issues. To death, the finality of death, and the power of life. It says so that the life of Jesus may be, may be, also be revealed in our body. It says for we who are alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that in His life, so that His life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us. And this is Paul talking as a minister now. But life is at work in you. In other words, you are living what I'm just talking right now. We are dying. We are giving ourselves over to death. And you know what? That's resulting in life for you. And so now this is what we do. We give ourselves to death and that results to life. You know, the image of Christ because, becomes manifest in death. True life in Christ can only be manifested and death. That means dying to ourselves, dying to our own desires, stopping the show, stopping the performance. Just, you know, it's it's over, ending the performance. And really living the death of Christ in our lives. Where does Paul say that the image of Christ resides? It resides in the presence of the weak, of the despised, of the imperfect. Of the marginal, the abandoned, the invalid, those that are in extreme need. That's where Christ is. That's where Christ locates himself. He doesn't locate himself with the powerful. He doesn't locate himself with the strong. He doesn't locate himself with the authorities of this world. He locates himself with the weakest, most vulnerable. That's where Jesus came in, didn't he? He didn't come in in the halls of kings. He didn't come in in the halls of emperors. He came in in a manger in a small little town that is not even around anymore. That's where Jesus uh, locates his identity, his image. You know, our professor in our master's, uh, master's degree went to visit a church just to be uh, a consultant, and, uh, the, the, you know, it was, he said, you know, it was very impressive. The church was very, very impressive. And so they, they asked him, you know, hey, uh, so what did you think about our service? And, and, and he said it was a tremendous show. It was amazing. And he says, well, you know, it, it, was, it was really very impressive, he told them. But that's the problem. He says, I didn't see death on display. Everybody up there was young, good-looking, healthy, hip. He says, I didn't see weakness. I didn't see death. I didn't see anything that could manifest God's power. It manifested man's power. It manifested humanity's exceptionalism, but it didn't manifest the power of God. He says, because I didn't see death. You know, uh, some weeks ago, uh, one of our young Christians got news from his family in Guatemala. Uh, his uh, his dad, uh, he actually grew up with his mom here in the United States, but his dad and his his uh, uh, stepbrother, or his half-brother, and the rest of his, their family are in Guatemala, in a small town in Guatemala. And uh, the people in that town had convinced his dad, who was a local farmer, to run to be the mayor. And in that running to be the mayor, somebody saw him as a threat, somebody saw him as... Something negative or bad, and, and so what they did is they had his dad and his brother murdered. And so uh here's a brand new Christian. He gets his news from back home, he's completely powerless, and he he finds out that his, his father and his brother had have, have been brutally murdered, just farmers in a small town in Guatemala because his dad was running for mayor. And so I went to go see him to uh, be with him and to console him and to, uh, you know, give him spiritual help during that time. And when I went to go see him, um, he was he was doing some work, but you can tell that he wasn't in his right mind. Have you gone uh, see somebody and and they're doing stuff, but they're like not there; they're somewhere else. And he could, you could tell the stress and. You know, the fear and the concern were all over his body. I mean, they were all over him. You could just see it. And so he said, hey, can you come with me? And, and, I, and I, said, I said, I said, I said, Ivan, let, let's go eat. He said, No, I, I can't eat. I don't have time to eat. I said, Ivan, you need to sit down. We need to go eat and we need to go pray. And so I, I took him. I took him what he needed to do. Then we went to go sit down. And he told me that. Uh, the rest of his family was under the threat of death. That they had told him that as soon as they step out the front door, that they were going to be murdered. And so he had just received that call from his, his uh, uh, sister in Guatemala. And he was, uh, obviously, he didn't know what to do. What do we do? So we, we sat together. We looked at different things that, we, that could be done, contacts, things that way. But at the end of the day, I said, you know what? We're going to have to pray. Have you ever been close to death? Where then God's power can be revealed. And not God's power. And sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, maybe God's power is when everything gets figured out, when everything gets fixed, you know, and once everything's fixed, that's God's power. When everything is put together and glued back together, that's God's power. When there's no problems, there's no issues. That's God's power. You know what Paul says? God's power is in that brokenness. God's power is in that fear. God's power is in that closeness In proximity to death. And so, you know, that is really why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Because Jesus understood that if we're going to live a life that is in His image, if we're going to reflect Him in our lives, then we had to be close to His death. Because everything in us screams to be away from death. Everything screams to not have death near us or close to us. Some of us don't even like to go to see someone grieving or to a funeral or to anywhere close to someone dying. Because it brings us to that reality of, man, my life is fragile. My life can end at whatever moment. But Jesus said, you know, this bread and this fruit of the vine, you know what it represents? It represents death. It represents me dying so that you can live. It represents the victory over death, ultimately. And it represents the proximity that you and I need to have to death so that Christ can be revealed in every single one of us. So this morning, as we pray for the communion, as we locate ourselves in that place where Jesus wants us to be at, where Paul was obviously at, that's why he was so Effective, why he was so powerful was because he was focused on reflecting Jesus in sincerity, in service, reflecting Jesus in suffering and weakness, but reflecting Jesus even in death. To say, you know what, to to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That was Paul's reality. You know what, if I live awesome, but if I die, that's what the cross is all about. Hopefully you and I can live the type of lives that truly reflect Christ. Let's go to God in prayer for the bread and the fruit of the vine at this moment. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate this supper together this morning, we celebrate it as community. We celebrate it together. We celebrate it as you did with your 12 apostles around that table, looking at each other, seeing each other reclining together on that table, and understanding that, that Passover supper was going to mean so much more because of your son's death and his resurrection. And Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, we thank you for that testimony that's in every single one of us. Father, I pray that we can reflect that sacrifice in our lives, that we can reflect Christ, that these emblems, that this, this bread and fruit of the vine will bring us back together as community to be the image of your son.